Section 9 of Marty, A Voyage Thither, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Marty, and a Voyage Thither, Volume 2, by Herman Melville. Chapters 41 through 45. Chapter 41. Chiefly of Sing Bello. Now, Taji, said Medea, with old Bello of the hump whose island of Dominora is before us, I am at variance. Ah, uh, how so? A dull recital, but you shall have it. And forthwith his highness began. This princely quarrel originated, it seems, in a slight jostling concerning the proprietorship of a barren islet in a very remote quarter of the lagoon. At the outset, the matter might have been easily adjusted had the parties but exchanged a few amicable words. But each disdaining to visit the other, to discuss so trivial an affair, the business of negotiating an understanding was committed to certain plenipos, men with lengthy tongues, who scorned to utter a word short of a polysyllable. Now, the more these worthies penetrated into the difficulty, the wider became the breach, till what was at first a mere gap became a yawning gulf. But that which had perhaps tended more than anything else to deepen the variance of the kings was humpback Bellows dispatching to Odo, as his thirtieth plenipo, a diminutive little negotiator who, all by himself, in a solitary canoe, sailed over to have audience of Medea, into whose presence he was immediately ushered. Darting one glance at him, the king turned to his chieftains and said, By much straining of your eyes, my lords, can you perceive this insignificant mannequin? What? Are there no tall men in Dominora that King Bello must needs send this dwarf hither? And charging his attendants to feed the ambassador extraordinary with the soft pap of the coconut and provide nurses during his stay, the monarch retired from the arbor of audience. "'As I am a man,' shouted the despised Plenipo, raising himself on his toes, "'my royal master will resent this affront. A dwarf, forsooth. Thank Oro, I am no long-drawn giant. There is as much stuff in me as in others. What is spread out in their clumsy carcasses in me is condensed. I am much in little.' and that much thou shalt know full soon, disdainful king of Odo. Speak not against our lord the king, cried the attendants, and speak not ye to me, ye headless spear-poles. And so saying, under sufferance of being small, the plenipo was permitted to depart unmolested, for all his bravados fobbing his credentials and affronts. Apprised of his servant's ignoble reception, the choleric bellow burst forth in a storm of passion, issuing orders for one thousand conch-shells to be blown and his warriors to assemble by land and by sea. But bethinking him of the hostilities that might ensue, the sagacious Medea hit upon an honorable expedient to ward off an event for which he was then unprepared. With all haste, he dispatched to the hump-backed king a little dwarf of his own, who, voyaging over to Dominora in a canoe, 
sorry and solitary as that of bellows plenipo in like manner received the same insults the effect whereof was to strike a balance of affronts upon the principle that a blow given heals one received nevertheless these proceedings but amounted to a postponement of hostilities for soon after nothing prevented the two kings from plunging into war but the following judicious considerations first medea was almost afraid of being beaten second bello was almost afraid to conquer medea because he was inferior in men and arms bello because his aggrandizement was already a subject of warlike comment among the neighboring kings indeed did the old chronicler braidbeard speak truth there were some tribes in Mardi that accounted this king of Dominora a testy, quarrelsome, rapacious old monarch, the indefatigable breeder of contentions and wars, the elder brother of this household of nations, perpetually essaying to lord it over the juveniles, and though his patrimonial dominions were situated to the north of the lagoon, not the slightest misunderstanding took place between the rulers of the most distant islands than this doughty old cavalier on a throne, forthwith thrust his insolent spear into the matter, though it in no wise concerned him, and fell to irritating all parties by his gratuitous interference. Especially was he officious in the concerns of Porfiro, a neighboring island, very large and famous, whose numerous broad valleys were divided among many rival kings, the king of Franco, a small-framed, poodle-haired, fine, fiery gallant, finical in his tattooing, much given to the dance and glory the king of iberia a tall and stately cavalier proud generous punctilious temperate in wine one hand forever on his javelin the other in superstitious homage lifted to his gods his limbs all over marks of stakes and crosses the king of Louisiana, a slender dark-browed thief at times wrapped in a moody robe beneath which he fumbled something, as if it were a dagger, but otherwise a sprightly troubadour given to serenades and moonlight. The many chiefs of sunny Latiana, minstrel monarchs full of song and sentiment, fiercer in love than war, glorious bards of freedom, but rendering tribute while they sang. The priest-king of Vaticana, his chest marked over with antique tattooings, his crown a cowl, his rusted scepter swaying over falling towers and crumbling mounds, full of the superstitious past, askance eyeing the suspicious time to come. The king of Hapzaboro, portly, pleasant, a lover of wild boar's meat, a frequent quaffer from the can in his better moods, much fancying solid comfort. The eight-and-thirty banded kings, chieftains, seigneurs, and oligarchies of the broad hill and dale of Teutoni, clubbing together their domains that none might rest his neighbors. An earnest race, deep thinkers, deep drinkers, long pipes, long heads, their wise ones given to mystic cogitations and consultations with the devil. The twin kings of Zandinavia, hardy, frugal mountaineers, upright of spine and heart clad in skins of bears the king of jutlanda much like their highnesses of zandanavia a sealskin cap his crown a fearless sailor of his frigid seas 
the king of muscovy a shaggy icicled white bear of a despot in the north said to reign over millions of acres of glaciers had vast provinces of snowdrifts and many flourishing colonies among the floating icebergs absolute in his rule as predestination in metaphysics did he command all his people to give up the ghost it would be held treason to die last very precise and foppish in his imperial tastes was this monarch disgusted with the want of uniformity in the stature of his subjects he was said to nourish thoughts of killing off all those below his prescribed standard six feet long measure immortal souls were of no account in his fatal wars since in some of his serf-breeding estates they were daily manufactured to order now to all the above-mentioned monarchs old bello would frequently dispatch heralds announcing for example his unalterable resolution to espouse the cause of this king against that at the very time perhaps that their serene superfluities instead of crossing spears were touching flagons and upon these occasions the kings would often send back word to old bello that instead of troubling himself with their concerns he might far better attend to his own which they hinted were in a sad way and much needed reform the royal old warrior's pretexts for these and all similar proceedings was the proper adjustment in porfido of what he facetiously styled the equipoise of calabashes which he stoutly swore was essential to the security of the various tribes in that country but who put the balance into thy hands king bello cried the indignant nations otto shouted the humpbacked king shaking his javelin superadded to the paternal interest which bello betrayed in the concerns of the kings of porfido according to our chronicler he also manifested no less interest in those of the remotest islands indeed where he found a rich country inhabited by a people deemed by him barbarous and incapable of wise legislation he sometimes relieved them from their political anxieties by assuming the dictatorship over them and if incensed at his conduct they flew to their spears they were accounted rebels and treated accordingly but as old mohi very truly observed herein bello was not alone for throughout mardi all strong nations as well as all strong men loved to govern the weak and those who most taunted king bello for his political rapacity were open to the very same charge so with vivenza a distant island at times very loud in denunciations of bello as a great national brigand not yet wholly extinct in vivenza were its aboriginal people a race of wild nimrods and hunters who year by year were driven further and further into remoteness till as one of their sad warriors said after continual removes along the log his race was on the point of being remorselessly pushed off the end now bello was a great geographer and land surveyor and gauger of the seas terraqueous marty he was continually exploring in quest of strange empires much he loved to take the altitude of lofty mountains the depth of deep rivers the breadth of broad isles upon the highest pinnacles of commanding capes and promontories he loved to hoist his flag he circled marty with his watch-towers and the distant voyager passing wild rocks in the remotest waters was startled by hearing the tattoo or the reveille beating from humpback bellows omnipresent drum among antarctic glaciers 
his shrill bugle calls mingled with the scream of the gulls and so impressed seemed universal nature with the sense of his dominion that the very clouds in heaven never sailed over dominora without rendering the tribute of a shower whence the air of dominora was more moist than that of any other clime in all his grand undertakings king bello was marvellously assisted by his numerous fleets of war canoes his navy being the largest in mardi hence his logicians swore that the entire lagoon was his and that all prowling whales prowling keels and prowling sharks were invaders and with this fine conceit to inspire them his poet's laureate composed some glorious old salt-water odes enough to make your very soul sing to hear them but though the rest of Marty much delighted to list to such noble minstrelsy, they agreed not with Bellow's poets in deeming the lagoon their old monarch's hereditary domain. Once upon a time, the paddlers of the humpback king, meeting upon the broad lagoon certain canoes belonging to the before-mentioned island of Vivenza, these paddlers seized upon several of their occupants, and feeling their pulses declared them born men of Dominora and therefore not free to go whithersoever they would for unless they could somehow get themselves borne over again they must forever remain subject to bellow shed your hair nay your skin if you will but shed your allegiance you cannot while you have bones they are bellows so spite of all expostulations and attempts to prove alibis these luckless paddlers were dragged into the canoes of dominora and commanded to paddle home their captors. Whereof hearing, the men of Vivenza were thrown into a great ferment, and after a mighty pow-wow over their council fire, fitting out several double-keel canoes, they sallied out to sea in quest of those whom they styled the wholesale corsairs of Dominora. But lucky perhaps it was that, at this juncture, in all parts of Marty, the fleets of the humpbacked king were fighting gunnel and gunnel alongside of numerous foes else there had borne down upon the canoes of the men of vivenza so tremendous an armada that the very swell under its thousand prows might have flooded their scattered prows forever out of sight as it was bellow dispatched a few of his smaller craft to seek out and incidentally run down the enemy and without returning home straightway proceed upon more important enterprises but it so chanced that bellows crafts one by one meeting the foe in most cases found the canoes of vivenza much larger than their own and manned by more men with hearts bold as theirs whence in the ship duels that ensued they were worsted and the canoes of vivenza locking their yard-arms into those of the vanquished very courteously gallanted them into their coral harbors solely imputing these victories to their superior intrepidity and skill the people of vivenza were exceedingly boisterous in their triumph raising such obstreperous pains that they gave themselves hoarse throats insomuch that according to mohi some of the present generation are fain to speak through their noses chapter forty two dominora and vivenza the three canoes still gliding on some further particulars were narrated concerning dominora and incidentally of other isles it seems that his love of wide dominion sometimes led the otherwise sagacious bellow into the most extravagant actions 
if the chance accumulation of soil and driftwood about any detached shelf of coral in the lagoon held forth the remotest possibility of the eventual existence of an islet there with all haste he dispatched canoes to the spot to take prospective possession of the as yet nearly submarine territory and if possible eject the zoophytes during an unusually low tide here and there barring the outer reef of the archipelago bello caused his royal spear to be planted upon every place thus exposed in token of his supreme claim thereto another anecdote was this that to dominora there came a rumour that in a distant island dwelt a man with an uncommonly large nose of most portentous dimensions indeed by the soothsayers supposed to foreshadow some dreadful calamity but disregarding these superstitious conceits bello forthwith dispatched an agent to discover whether this huge promontory of a nose was geographically available if so to secure the same by bringing the proprietor back now by sapient old mohi it was esteemed a very happy thing for marty at large that the subjects whom bello sent to populate his foreign acquisitions were but too apt to throw off their vassalage so soon as they deemed themselves able to cope with him indeed a fine country in the western part of marty in this very manner became a sovereign nay a republican state it was the nation to which mohi had previously alluded vivenza but in the flush and pride of having recently attained their national majority the men of vivenza were perhaps too much inclined to carry a vauntful crest and because entrenched in their fastnesses after much protracted fighting they had eventually succeeded in repelling the warriors dispatched by bello to crush their insurrection they were unanimous in the opinion that the humpbacked king had never before been so signally chastised whereas they had not so much vanquished bello as defended their shores even as a young lion will protect its den against legions of unicorns though away from home he might be torn to pieces in truth braidbeard declared that at the time of this war dominora couched ten long spears for every short javelin vivenza could dart though the javelins were stoutly hurled as the spears but superior in men and arms why at last gave over king bello the hope of reducing those truculent men of vivenza one reason was as mohi said that many of his fighting men were abundantly occupied in other quarters of marty nor was he long in discovering that fight he never so valiantly vivenza not yet its inhabitants was wholly unconquerable thought bello mountains are sturdy foes fate hard to damn yet the men of vivenza were no dastards not to lie coming from lion-like loins they were a lion-loined race did not their bards pronounce them a fresh start in the mardian species requiring a new world for their full development for be it known that the great land of columbo no inconsiderable part of which was embraced by vivenza was the last island discovered in the archipelago in good round truth and as if an impartialist from arcturus spoke it vivenza was a noble land like a young tropic tree she stood laden down with greenness myriad blossoms and the ripened fruit thick hanging from one bough she was promising as the morning or vivenza might be likened to st john feeding on locusts and wild honey 
and with prophetic voice crying to the nations from the wilderness or childlike standing among the old robed kings and emperors of the archipelago vivenza seemed a young messiah to whose discourse the bearded rabbis bowed so seemed vivenza in its better aspect nevertheless vivenza was a braggadocio in mardi the only brave one ever known as an army of spurred and crested roosters her people chanticleered at the resplendent rising of their sun for shame vivenza whence thy undoubted valour did ye not bring it with ye from the bold old shores of dominora where there is a fullness of it left what isle but dominora could have supplied thee with that stiff spine of thine that heart of boldest beat o oh, vivenza know that true grandeur is too big for a boast and nations as well as men may be too clever to be great but what more of king bello notwithstanding his territorial acquisitiveness and aversion to relinquishing stolen nations he was yet a glorious old king rather choleric a word and a blow but a right royal heart rail at him as they might at bottom all the isles were proud of him and almost in spite of his rapacity upon the whole perhaps they were the better for his deeds for if sometime he did evil with no very virtuous intentions he had fifty ways of accomplishing good with the best and a thousand ways of doing good without meaning it according to an ancient oracle the hump-backed monarch was but one of the most conspicuous pieces on a board where the gods played for their own entertainment but here it must not be omitted that of late king bello had somewhat abated his efforts to extend his dominions various causes were assigned some thought it arose from the fact that already he found his territories too extensive for one sceptre to rule that his more remote colonies largely contributed to his tribulations without correspondingly contributing to his revenues others affirmed that his hump was getting too mighty for him to carry others still that the nations were waving too strong for him with prophetic solemnity head-shaking sages averred that he was growing older and older had passed his grand climacteric and though it was a hale old age with him yet it was not his lusty youth that though he was daily getting rounder and rounder in girth and more florid of face that these howbeit were rather the symptoms of a morbid obesity than of a healthful robustness these wise ones predicted that very soon poor bello would go off in an apoplexy but in vivenza there were certain blusterers who often thus prated the humpback's hour is come at last the old teamster will be gored by the nations he's yoked his game is done let him show his hand and throw up his sceptre he cumbers marty let him be cut down and burned he stands in the way of his betters let him shear to one side he has shut up many eyes and now himself grows blind he hath committed horrible atrocities during his long career the old sinner now let him quickly say his prayers and be beheaded howbeit bello lived on enjoying his dinners and taking his jorums as of yore ah i have yet a jolly long lease of life thought he over his wine and like unto some obstinate old uncle he persisted in flourishing in spite of the prognostications of the nephew nations 
which at his demise perhaps hoped to fall heir to odd parts of his possessions three streaks of fat valleys to one of lean mountains chapter forty three they land at dominora as erewhile recounted not being on the best terms in mardi with the king of dominora medea saw fit to draw nigh unto his dominions in haughty state he medea being upon excellent terms with himself our sails were set our paddles paddling streamers streaming and vivi in the shark's mouth clamorous with his conch the din was soon heard and sweeping into a fine broad bay we beheld its margin seemingly pebbled in the distance with heads so populous the land winding through a noble valley we presently came to bellows palace couchant and bristling in a grove the upright canes composing its front projected above the eaves in a long row of spearheads fluttering with scarlet pennons while below from the intervals of the canes were slantingly thrust three tiers of decorated lances a warlike aspect the entire structure looking like the broadside of the macedonian phalanx advancing to the charge helmeted with a roof ah bello said medea thou dwellest among thy quills like the porcupine i feel a prickly heat coming over me cried mohi my lord medea let us enter ay said babbalanja safer the centre of peril than the circumference passing under an arch formed by two pikes crossed we found ourselves targets in perspective for certain flingers of javelins with poised weapons occupying the angles of the palace fronting us stood a portly old warrior spear in hand hump on back and fire in eye is it war he cried pointing his pike or peace reversing it peace said medea whereupon advancing king bello courteously welcomed us he was an arsenal to behold upon his head the hereditary crown of dominora a helmet of the sea porcupine's hide bristling all over with spikes in front displaying a river horse's horn leveled to the charge thrust through his ears were barbed arrows and from his dyed shark-skin girdle depended a kilt of strung javelins the broad chest of bello was the chart of mardi tattooed in sea-blue were all the groups and clusters of the archipelago and every time he breathed rose and fell the isles as by a tide dominora full upon his heart his sturdy thighs were his triumphal arch whereon in numerous medallions crests and shields were blazoned all his victories by sea and land his strong right arm was Dominora's scroll of fame, where all her heroes saw their names recorded. An endless roll. Our chronicler avouched that on the sole of Bello's dexter foot was stamped the crest of Franco's king, his hereditary foe. Thus, thus, cried Bello, stamping, thus I hourly crush him. In stature, Bello was a mountaineer, but as over some tall tower impends the hillside cliff so bello's athos hump hung over him could it be as many of his nobles held that the old monarch's hump was his sensorium and source of strength full of nerves muscles ganglions and tendons yet year by year it grew 
ringed like the bowl of his palms. The toils of war increased it. But another skirmish with the isles, said the wiseacres of Porfido, and Bello's mount will crush him. Against which calamity to guard, his medicos and sangredos sought the hump's reduction, but down it would not come. Then, by diverse mystic rites, his magi tried. Making a deep pit, many teeth they dropped therein, but they could not fill it. Hence, they called it the sinking pit, for bottom it had none. Nevertheless, the magi said, When this pit is filled, Bellows hump you'll see no more. Then, hurrah for the hump, cried the nobles, for he will never hurl it off. Long life to the hump. By the hump we will rally and die. Cheer up, King Bello, stand up, old king. But these were they who, when their sovereign went abroad, with that athos on his back, followed idly in its shade, while Bello leaned heavily upon his people, staggering as they went. Ay, sorely did Bello's goodly stature lean, but though many swore he soon must fall, nevertheless, like Pisa's leaning tower, he may long lean over, yet never nod. Visiting Dominora in a friendly way, in good time, we found King Bello very affable. In hospitality almost exceeding portly Borabola, October plenty reigned throughout his palace borders. Our first reception over, a sumptuous repast was served, at which much lively talk was had. Of Taji, Bello sought to know whether his solar majesty had yet made a province of the moon, whether the astral hosts were of much account as territories, or mere motus, as the little tufts of verdure are dominated, here and there clinging to Marty's circle reef, whether the people in the sun vilified him, Bello, as they did in Marty, and what they thought of an event so ominous to the liberties of the universe as the addition to his navy of three large canoes. Ere long, so fused in social love we grew, that Bello, filling high his can and clasping Medea's palm, drank everlasting amity with Odo. So, over their red cups, the two kings forgot their differences, and concerning the disputed islet nothing more was ever heard, especially, as it so turned out, that while they were most hot about it, it had suddenly gone out of sight, being of volcanic origin. Chapter 44. Through Dominora they wander after Yila. At last, withdrawing from the presence of King Bello, we went forth, still intent on our search. Many brave sights we saw. Fair fields, the whole island a garden, green hedges all round, neat lodges, thick as white mice in the landscape. Old oak woods, hale and hearty as ever. Old temples, buried in ivy. Old shrines of old heroes, deep buried in broad groves of bay trees. Old rivers, laden down with heavy freighted canoes, humped hills like droves of camels, piled up with harvests. Every sign and token of a glorious abundance, every sign and token of generations of renown. Rare sight, fine sight, none rarer, none finer in Marty. But roving on through this ravishing region, we passed through a cornfield in full beard, where a haggard old reaper laid down his hook, beseeching charity for the sake of the gods. Bread, 
bread or i die mid these sheaves thrash out your grain and want not alas masters this grain is not mine i plough i sow i reap i bind i stack lord primo gardeners rambling on we came to a hamlet hidden in a hollow and beneath weeping willows saw many mournful maidens seated on a bank beside each a wheel that was broken lo we starve they cried our distaffs are snapped no more may we weave and spin then forth issued from vaults clamorous crowds of men hands tied to their backs bread bread they cried the magician hath turned us out from our glen where we labored of yore in the days of the merry green queen he has pinioned us hip and arm that we starve like sheep we die off with the rot curse on the magician a curse on his spell bending our steps toward the glen roaring down the rocks we descried a stream from the mountains but ere those waters gained the sea vassal tribute they rendered conducted through culverts and moats they turned great wheels giving life to ten thousand fangs and fingers whose grip no power could withstand yet whose touch was soft as the velvet paw of a kitten with brute force they heaved down great weights then daintily wove and spun like the trunk of the elephant which lays lifeless a river horse and counts the pulses of a moth on all sides the place seemed alive with its spindles round and round round and round throwing off wondrous births at every revolving ceaseless as the cycles that circle in heaven loud hummed the loom flew the shuttle like lightning red roared the grim forge rung anvil and sledge yet no mortal was seen what ho magician come forth from thy cave but all deaf were the spindles as the mutes they mutely wait on the sultan since we are born we will live so we read on a crimson banner flouting the crimson clouds in the van of a riotous red-bonneted mob racing by us as we came from the glen many more followed black or blood-stained marty is man's down with landholders our turn now uprights down wrongs bread bread take the tide ere it turns waving their banners and flourishing aloft clubs hammers and sickles with fierce yells the crowd ran on toward the palace of bello foremost and inciting the rest by mad outcries and gestures were six masks this way this way they cried by the wood by the dark wood whereupon all darted into the groves when of a sudden the masks leaped forward clearing a long covered trench into which fell many of those they led but on raced the masks and gaining bellows palace and raising the alarm there sallied from thence a woodland of spears which charged upon the disordered ranks in the grove a crash as of icicles against icebergs round zembla and down went the hammers and sickles the host fled hotly pursued meanwhile brave heralds from bello advanced and with chaplets crowned the six masks welcome heroes worthy and valiant 
they cried. Thus our Lord Bello rewards all those who, to do him a service, for hire betray their kith and their kin. Still pursuing our quest, wide we wandered through all the sun and shade of Dominora. But nowhere was Yila found. Chapter 45 They Behold King Bello's State Canoe At last, bidding adieu to King Bello, and in the midst of the lowing of oxen, breaking away from his many hospitalities, we departed for the beach. But ere embarking, we paused to gaze at an object which long fixed our attention. Now, as all bold cavaliers have ever delighted in special chargers gaily caparisoned, whereon upon grand occasions to sally forth upon the plains, even so have maritime potentates ever prided themselves upon some holiday galley splendidly equipped, wherein to sail over the sea. When of old, glory-seeking Jason, attended by his promising young lieutenants Castor and Pollux, embarked on that hardy adventure to Colchise, the brave planks of the good ship Argos he trod, its model a swan to behold. And when Trojan Aeneas wandered west and discovered the pleasant land of Latium, it was in the fine craft Bis Taurus that he sailed, its stern glorious emblazoned, its prow a levelled spear. And to the sound of sackbut and psaltery, gliding down the Nile in the pleasant shade of its pyramids to welcome mad Mark, Cleopatra was throned on the cedar quarter-deck of a glorious gondola, silk and satin-hung, its silver-plated oars musical as flutes. So, too, Queen Bess was wont to disport on old Thames. And tough Torf Egil, the Danish sea-king, reckoned in his stud, a slender yacht, its masts young Zetland furs, its prow a seal, dog-like holding a swordfish blade. He called it the greyhound, so swift was its keel, the sea-hawk, so blood-stained its beak. And groping down his palace stairs, the blind old doge Dandolo oft embarked in his gilded barge, like the Lord Mayor setting forth in civic state from Guildhall in his chariot. But from another sort of prow leaped Dandolo, when at Constantinople he foremost sprang ashore, and with a right arm ninety years old, planted the standard of St. Mark full among the long chin pennons of the long-bearded Turks. And Kumbo-sama, emperor of Japan, had a dragon-beaked junk, a floating juggernaut, wherein he burnt incense to the sea-gods. And Kanakoko, king of New Zealand, and the first Tahitian Pomaree, and the Pelu potentate, each possessed long state canoes, sea-snakes all, carved over like Chinese card-cases, and manned with such scores of warriors, that dipping their paddles in the sea they made a commotion like shoals of herring. What wonder, then, that Bellow of the Hump, the old sea-king of Mardi, should sport a brave ocean chariot? In a broad arbor by the waterside, it was housed like Alp Arsian's war-horse, or the charger Caligula deified. Upon its stern, a wilderness of sculpture. Shell-work, metal lions, masks, griffins, gulls, ogres, finned lions, winged walruses, all manner of sea-cavalry, crusading centaurs, crocodiles, and sharks, and mermen and mermaids, and Neptune only knows all. And in this craft, doge-like, yearly did King Bello stand up and wed with the lagoon. 
but the custom originated not in the manner of the doges which was as follows so at least saith gibelli who tells all about it when in a stout sea fight ziani defeated barbarossa's son otho sending his feluccas all flying like frightened waterfowl from a lake then did his holiness the pope present unto him a ring saying take this o ziani and with it the sea for thy bride and every year wed her again so the doge's tradition thus bellows ages ago dominora was circled by a reef which expanding in proportion to the extension of the isle's naval dominion in due time embraced the entire lagoon and this marriage ring zoned all the world but if the sea was king bellows bride an adriatic tartar he wedded who in her mad gales of passions often boxed about his canoes and led his navies a very boisterous life indeed and hostile prognosticators opined that ere long she would desert her old lord and marry again already they held she had made advances in the direction of vivenza but truly should she abandon old bello he would straightway after her with all his fleets and never rest till his queen was regained now old sea-king look well to thy barge of state for peradventure the dry rot may be eating into its keel and the woodworms exploring into its spars without heedful tending any craft will decay yet for ever may its first fine model be preserved though its prow be renewed every spring like the horns of the deer if in repairing plank be put for plank rib for rib in exactest similitude even so then o bello do thou with thy barge end of section nine recording by james k white chula vista